Welcome back to Cooper Duper, Twin Peaks podcast for regular people. This is Jess. I'm Mikey. And we started again because we just talked about how clean our house is for two minutes, and I realized that's yeah. extremely boring radio, but our house is really clean. Okay, um, we are here on part six of season three Yeah. of Twin Peaks. Oh. I Can I be honest, Michael? Can I be honest in this safe space that we have built for ourselves and our listeners? Listen, you can. Uh-huh. I don't know how I'm going to react. Okay. <laughs> Didn't care saying. for this episode. This episode is interesting. Oh, see, that's where I disagree. <laughs> it was like not interesting. From a like creation standpoint, like there's, it's very slow. Mm-hmm. We spend a lot of time watching things without dialogue. Correct. Without interaction, we watch a lot of people doing things by themselves. Mm-hmm. We we get some horrific stuff. Mm-hmm. Then we get some really fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Like we get like all the stuff with Janie E telling off the the loan shark guys. Yeah, like that's fun. Yeah, the no, stuff I do like with that. Hawk in the bathroom and his reaction to Chad is great. It's good. Like there's. I, the the whole magician and Richard Horn thing is really yeah bizarre and weird and interesting yeah I just I I, I there's good I, stuff in it it there's, yeah there are good moments in it but overall I was it just I mean I think giving David Lynch the luxury of telling his story in his own time is is bound to end up with shit like this of mm-hmm. like. Well, not a lot happens, sort of. Like, some shit is implied to have happened. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's going to pay off. And, like, maybe it'll be a good episode in, in like, in context of everything. But I don't know. Um, all right. So let's just dig in. Okay. So we basically pick up this episode where the last episode ends. Right? We still have Cooper standing, uh, Dougie, yeah. standing at the foot of that statue that we don't necessarily know what it is or what it's for, but Cooper's drawn to it's it. It's very cowboy I was going to say, very... is it like a sheriff thing, the way it, he was obsessed it, with the sheriff's badge? Yeah, it kind of looks like an old, old-timey, old like Wild West sheriff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which could be, you know, taking it back to the Twin Peaks Sheriff Department. But right. also just like a badge is something that he's always had with him, and mm-hmm. so he's delighted by that. Mm-hmm. And like that, that triggers a deep subconscious memory, I think. Right. Um, so, but the- and he's playing with his sleeve, which mm. I like. I don't know if he's trying to like it, it, and he's pulling the sleeve on his left hand as though he's trying to form it into a gun, like the statue, oh. or trying to like. There's a gun like in will here. Will so, a gun into like trying to like yeah. form it into a gun or pull a gun out of it? Like mm-hmm. he he. I want to do what he's doing, mm-hmm. but I don't have the. Thing. But I, how do I do that? Sure. And he's trying. It's. One of the first moments we see Dougie potentially trying to learn. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. It's it's interesting. Yeah. Well, learn. I, I would say it's not the first time we try to learn. It's the first time he seems to be like trying to conjure something sure. up that isn't there. Everything else he's said has it's, been. He's just a parrot. Yeah. Right. And this is the first time. I mean, he's still trying to parrot. Right. The statue. But yeah, I don't know. Um, so... Uh, so Cooper's picked up by this officer 
um, and takes him home. Who's great, by the way. I Yeah, I really like him. A very him. small character, but mm-hmm. like... The, I felt like he had a backstory. Like, yeah, I felt like he, he thought his like, character And grew. it's just like, come on, buddy. And then, have you been drinking? Mm-hmm. What's going on? Any, okay. any medication, but he's just, any drugs? He, like a genuine public servant right. of sorts. And he just seems like a good good guy cop. Yeah. Um, and so I would say, so I've talked before that uh, the first time through wa- watching this, like Dougie was like nails on a chalkboard for me. I just found mm-hmm. him like not just like an annoying character, but like actively distressing. Um, and I think this scene when she when Dougie gets home is like kind of maybe that whole thing that I think of of her just like I, I just find it so deeply frustrating when her husband comes home and they're like he's not all there or whatever and she's like that's on a good day and was he I, I think I'm just so baffled by how Janie E treats this person who's supposed to be her husband who has a job who at some point was a yeah. fully functioning human being and is reduced to this kind of shell of a person um you're smiling it's like i think it's so funny that do you like think that's charming i think it's yeah it's it's silly i think she's be, like she's performative like she's trying to be nice to the cops and whatever and trying to like it yeah. isn't it isn't genuine like she when when the two of them get alone, she's like, what the fuck are you doing, Dougie? Like, she's mad at him all the time. Right. Like, she's incredibly frustrated to no end, I think. Yeah, but I think... it, And she does say... This is, I think, the first time she says, we have to call Dr. So-and-so to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. But, like, if you came home and all of a sudden were essentially, like, nonverbal, I would call the fucking But I, but I think that's the point, is that I think... This original Dougie has always been a a non-talker, a just a loaf. Yeah, I guess. I just, I, I think it's genuinely just like the tone of her voice I find like mm. sort of like intrinsically really distressing. She, she's shrill. Oh my God. <laughs> like it just reminds me of like the way she treats him is like how how we talk to like special needs kids where I volunteer like just very gentle and whatever mm. but he's he's not a small child with special needs he's a grown ass man who like nobody's acknowledging is not saying human words or like able to take care of himself I don't know I I, I don't I just find it very distressing um so she says she's gonna she gives him makes him a sandwich she says that she'll make a doctor's appointment for him, um, and then she sends him up to go say goodnight to Sunny Jim um, until she opens an unmarked envelope to their home. So let's talk about, do you want to talk about the scene with him? And, like, the thing with him and Sunny Jim, I think, is kind of cute. Yeah. But, like, I don't know why I think that's sort of cute and wholesome and, like, this kid trying to understand his weird dad, whereas, like, when he interacts with Janie E, I'm like... Oh, my God, he's not your child. Stop talking to him like yeah, he's a well, toddler. because they're on the... Same, Same in television. Yeah. yeah. Like, even the kid knows how to deal with him. And, like, but the, what the kid doesn't understand is that he's not just being silly. Like, when he, oh. the, Sonny Jim pats the bed and then Dougie walks over and does the exact same thing. And mm-hmm. he's just like, <laughs> like, with the, the clap on, clap off yeah, lights. Yeah. Like, or he did it earlier in the, the previous episode where Sonny Jim gives him the thumbs up and he, gives him a thumbs up and then turns around to be in the same position as him to do the exact same thing so his back is facing Sonny Jim. Oh, I didn't he's notice like, oh, that. Ha, ha, ha. He does that that same bit later with Bushnell when he 
tries to shake his hand and he puts his hand out and then turns around so that they're facing the same direction oh, to do the exact same that's thing. That's okay. I didn't, I couldn't like put that together. Like he's got the wherewithal to like, every time he's doing something to mimic the statue, mm-hmm. he's using the left hand, which is what the gun. He's like, not mirroring it. Yeah. Like he's not just putting up a hand. He's trying to do exactly. the same yeah. thing. And he's understanding, oh, you're doing that. But if I do, th- now we're, I have to turn around. Yeah. I got it. <laughs> and like, there's, he's learning, I guess. Like, I don't know. Uh, so while um, Dougie is upstairs with Sunny Jim, they're playing around the light. Um, as the, when the officers dropped Dougie off, they'd given um, Janie E an envelope. Like somebody left this here the, for they, you. It was on their porch. It was yeah. already on their porch. Yeah. Um, and she opens it up, and it has a picture of um, Dougie with Jade, and it appears to be like the real Dougie, like he had the yeah, the, the, the shaggy big shag wig. And, yeah. So this was like this presumably was on his way in. Yeah. Right. Um, or was a previous occurrence because it sounds sure. like they this were regular. Is a regular. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I my guess is that it was those same guys. Yeah, who've been scoping who've out. Who've been, yeah. One of the, the pair. Some of them are trying to kill him. Some of them are trying to scope it out. So. Are they not in cahoots? Or maybe, maybe not. Okay. We don't necessarily know, I don't think. they That never really plays out. Um, I don't think. I don't remember. So she, so, uh, so Janie E is berating Dougie, understandably. Um, and then they get a phone call from the people to whom Dougie owes money. So then she yells at him for not having set up this drop already. And so she says, okay, meet me at this part. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if I found this funny or annoying. You tell me how I feel. Um, When she is talking to the the people on the phone to schedule the drop, they're like, okay, you know, where should we meet you? And she she said tomorrow. First of all, she said noon 30, which I thought was very funny. I say noon 30. Like, I do that all the time. I've always said that. Do you? Like, as a bit? or No. I say that a lot. I've never heard you say that when we've been married for a long time. We don't meet at noon 30 for anything very often. (laughs) It's fair, actually. It's good. (laughs) It's usually in the middle of a work day or whatever. Um, She, so she says noon 30. However, I would never say midnight 30. That sounds weird. Yeah, that's only a lunatic would say that, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so anyway, she so she says, "I'll meet you at noon thirty at XYZ Park," and then she hangs up and immediately yells at Doug. You're like, "I was going to take you to the doctor during your here, lunch break." Like, ma'am, you scheduled it. Just tell them that, like, schedule it at ten a.m. so you can get in and the out. Thing. So you, what you glossed over, I thought, I oh. found an, a th- is, is an interesting thing. It's the corner of Guinevere and um, Merlin. Merlin, yeah. So it's in their neighborhood. What do you know about Arthurian legend? Uh, do I, you know much? Like, yeah, I read the all of these little tidbits keep coming back. Like, I mean, even going back to Glastonbury Grove is the mm-hmm. name of that area of the woods mm-hmm. where the portal is, right? Um. So it's going back to something, but this whole neighborhood is Lancelot Court. And right. Yeah. I mean, it's clearly their their naming convention. So I, I've read... But is there more to draw from that? Like, is there more, like, metaphor that I'm not aware of? I'm not super familiar I with. I mean, 
Arthurian legend or whatever. Yeah, I um, I mean, it's been probably, I think I read it when I was in high school, so it's been a hot second that I read mm-hmm. Once in Future King. And once again, want to be clear about this, read it for funsies. <laughs> I think I read it over spring break, like the real cool party dude I was. Um, so I, I would say the biggest connection I would be able to draw from is that Merlin um, experiences time backwards. Oh, which I think I brought up briefly um, the yeah, first time missed, this came this, up. Yeah. Um, but that is the. Oh, I mean, it's also all about so is it like destiny, right? That's like tenant almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll reread that sometime. Um, yeah, yeah. So he experiences time backwards, um, and so it, it's sort of like, if I'm remembering right, it's sort of like a Cassandra type deal that. He knows what do you know the legend of Cassandra, or the myth rather? The Wayne's girlfriend from Wayne's World. Yes. Okay. okay so she plays so, the like, electric guitar. She plays bass. <laughs> so, I'm in, so sorry. in crucial taunt. Avi. Now, uh, Cassandra. Was, this is, so this is about her forming the band. Uh huh. It okay, is. Okay. Yeah. She was told by Zeus that she has to form a real dope girl band. Now, um, uh, Cassandra was Kurt. I don't know her whole legend. It's Greek mythology, I think. Um, She uh, was cursed to know the future Hmm. and not be able to change it. Hmm. Um, And so, I mean, obviously that's torturous as a curse, but then it also, I think, would manifest, if I'm remembering this right, would manifest by her saying like, hey, don't a war is coming you need to do x y and z and then the war happens so they're like well you did this you told us this is gonna happen so like the cause and effect got a little messed up okay um so yeah, she yeah. was punished in on multiple levels it's a real good classic greek mythology punishment yeah um anyway so so i think if i remember right maybe i'll do a little more research before i edit this um that he has the same thing that he knows what's he merlin excuse me okay. merlin knows what's coming and I don't think he can change events, but he can like, like he, it's, if I'm remembering right, he kind of like puts pieces in place to make sure everything goes as, sure. uh, you know, cause like um, King Arthur was just like a little poor, uh, God, I can't even remember King Arthur's origin story, but well, he was like a squire. He was like a low, low ranking squire. Is that bef- what happens in the kid in King Arthur's court? Cause this is where this all comes from, right? The song? <laughs> The Kid in King Arthur's Court? No, the movie. The movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes, that's the the origin of that particular. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. So anyway. uh, So anyway, I think Merlin was like there to guide Arthur into his destiny. Hmm. So I guess that would be a similar similar idea here that... that, Something, whether it's Mike in the red room or whomever, is trying to guide the pieces into place. Because Mike, like, it, it happens a lot, right? We have um, Margaret Letterman. some type of saying, spiritual guide, yeah. Yeah. So we've got Margaret who said the answer is based on your... So she has this, like, sort of broad answer but cannot tell him directly, so she has to give him the tools yeah. he needs in theory to figure out and what he's looking that's for. that's like a Merlin... Yeah. Okay, interesting. That's, I mean, this is, medieval sure, literature no. is not like my yeah. my forte. But, uh, no, that's interesting. Like, I feel like there's probably a lot of direct 
character correlation and things like that that I just am not familiar enough yeah, with. Yeah, and Guinevere is like that love triangle between Guinevere and Lancelot and King Arthur mm-hmm. is a whole thing. So maybe Guinevere symbolizes betrayal, maybe. Um, you know, women kind of got done dirty in, <laughs> in medieval. Yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Huh. It's weird. Who saw that coming? Mm, not me. Um, anyway. Cassandra probably did. Um, so she gets a phone call. She schedules the thing. She meets him at the park the next day. But yeah, Gwen of Merlin. So. Okay. Um. But yeah, and then there's something written on the back of the photo. Oh, what was it? It's, it's hard to, it's a, it's in written cursive. It's written in handwriting and it's your move or your turn. I think it's your move, mm. but it's just, it's there mm-hmm. and they, but it's never, doesn't get a close up doesn't get referenced mm-hmm. it's just an interesting sure thing to have be there without you know true acknowledgement mm-hmm. uh and then dougie sees mike again um in from the red room so it's that kind of over like cheesy overlay that mm-hmm. uh, we've seen a few times here um urges him to wake up and not die very it basically this is the point in this episode that's already been like Three things happen in this episode. Not even. He gets home. Mm-hmm. To Dougie or just... Just in this episode. Not much <laughs> is happening. Yeah. We've had Dougie now for four episodes. Mm-hmm. Something like three or four episodes. Stumbling around. Right now, Mike is all of us. And if this is your first time viewing this, mm-hmm. especially, Mike is every one of us. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Please be Cooper. Wake up. Yeah. Don't die. Uh Just wake the fuck up, dude. Like, what the fuck is this? Where's our Cooper? Right. We just want our Cooper back. Right. And it's a a moment of like true meta, like Mm -hmm. he is saying exactly what you are saying as the viewer. Um small section. I also find it odd that he's overlaid where Mike's in the middle of a fireplace, which yeah, I don't get. I don't know if there's. I don't think that's symbolic. I think that's just an arbitrary choice. Yeah, <laughs> I could be wrong. Um, okay, so small section. So um, Janie also found his the paperwork that he's been told to bring home. Case files. Case files. Yeah. Um, that he's been told to work on that night. That's a great. That's a great little exchange there. Too. And what's this? And she like taps it two times. Oh, and he goes. And then he looks at it. Does the exact same tap two times a little bit slower and just goes, case files. <laughs> like, duh. <laughs> like, it's almost like, it's like the one moment where it isn't just parroting. Uh-huh. And it almost sounds like he's just like, case files. Yeah, when, it's my job. Yeah. You know my job. Like <laughs> Tomorrow lunchtime, I'm taking you to see Dr. Ben. He needs to take a good look at you. Look at you. And what are these? But there's something about this scene that I like this Dougie is like comfortable there. Like and the the lighting is this just like golden glow. Like Mm -hmm. everything glows in these scenes. There's a lot of yellow and this like bright soft like safe feeling environment even mm-hmm. though he, like she's like snapping at him 
there's something about it that feels really safe. And then what I kind of noticed later too is later in the same episode at the double R, the double R has almost the exact same lighting. Mm -hmm. It's the same like golden, it feels just safe. It has like a very like Norman Rockwell feel of just like warm fireplace. Yeah, but it's almost evokes candlelight, but it's not. There's some significance to the fact that this location, the Janie E home, mm-hmm. is safe for him. And I don't know why that is. Yeah, why are they giving us that if that, she's just been berating him the whole time? Yeah, and also if they found an envelope on their front stoop, the bad guys, whoever they right, may they be, know, know where, where yeah. you live. So it's not like this is your your safe house. Um. Oh. So, small sections of light begin to appear in Dougie's case files, including the name of the insurer, Anthony St. Clair, Sinclair. Mm-hmm. Um, Cooper marks them with scribbles, zigzags, and other lines. So, one looks like a ladder. Yeah, there's like stair, one that could be either either stairs or chevron kind of zigzag. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't think of the red room chevron. Yeah. Um, and he, uh, the ladder is from, oh, I'm just realizing like, the ladder is a thing that we saw when he was climbing. When he climbed out under yeah. that box. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, there's another thing he note- he notes a few times, which is Detective Loomis and Detective Stockton okay. are like agents who oversaw or whatever. I don't recall names uh. for certain, but I'm pretty sure we meet them later in relation to Anthony Sinclair. Isn't Loomis the name of the detective from Psycho? Could be. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, that sounds right. Sam Loomis. Yeah, he was... Yeah, and uh, I think Stockton is... Dolores Stockton is Alfred Hitchcock's um, secretary. No. (laughs) You don't think that's that's what it is? (laughs) But Stockton sounds familiar. Like, that might have been somebody from, like, Sunset Boulevard or another one of those things that... He likes to just take names from. Let's see. Let's see if I can do some quick detective work. <gasps> Maybe you are Detective Stockton. But do, but I'm pretty sure we meet both of those detectives in upcoming episode. Stockton Twin Peaks. It's not John Stockton from the Utah Jazz. You sure? Pretty sure. Is there anything in this scene that's about, like, being an assist leader? Anything like that? No? No. Yeah, I don't think Stockton... He was part of the dream team. <gasps> Dreams? I don't get it. I don't know. <laughs> um, oh, and- here we go. John, John Houston Stockton, born March 26, 1962, an American retired professional basketball player. That's who you said it was, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, John... John Huston, though, the film director, uh-huh. maybe. Oh, you didn't have any connection there. You just maybe that's what we're talking about. <laughs> Jessica, I'm the detective. <laughs> anyway, okay. Um, well, so yeah, so I think we meet them later. But what kind of turns out, like, oh, you've given me something, really something to think about here. Later in that scene. But he, again, I fe- this is just an example of him being pointed in the right direction for things. Mm-hmm. 
like the Mr. Jackpot scenario where he saw this image mm-hmm. pop up over a thing and then he won. Like, this is the same thing. He saw the green dot over Anthony Sinclair's face. Mm-hmm. Do something about that. Mm-hmm. This is the same thing. Do something about this. And he just kind of traces those lines and that is enough information so that when Bushnell looks at it later goes, oh wait, something's fishy about each one of these case files. Mm. And every one of these case files that's fishy was done by Anthony Sinclair. Oh, interesting. So when he does his, like, oh, he's lying from early, because mm. Anthony Sinclair is, is the Tom Sizemore character. Right. Um, when he's lying, he's marked up in the right place. It's, it's scribbles and whatever, but... He marks up in the right place so that when Bushnell looks these over again, instead of what he probably did before, which was like a one-time pass, okay, approved, sure. done. Rubber stamped him. Yeah. He's actually looking at details and going, wait a minute, there's some inconsistencies here. Something is fishy about these particular case files. Mm-hmm. And seemingly Anthony Sinclair is in on it. So there's some type of fraud or something happening. Right. And I think that's what Dougie has stumbled upon. Cool. Um, so we sit with Dougie drawing on those papers for 45 mm. minutes. It's long and there's, but there's just like this beautiful music. Like this is, this episode is a prime, like what's interesting about this episode is that the scenes that don't really seem to have any strong bearing mm. on the overall story or anything are the long scenes. Mm -hmm. And then the scenes that like are potentially really important or interesting Mm -hmm. fly by. Yeah. Like, like the scene with Hawk in the bathroom. That's, that's quick, Mm -hmm. but that ends up being a huge fucking piece. Right. There's, um, I can't even think of some of the other, like the, the hit and run kid. Yeah. That whole scene is very quick. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, you take some time with it, but it's, there's no reason Dougie scribbling on some paper should be longer than that scene. Mm-hmm. That scene should be longer if you were a traditional filmmaker. Sure. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, generally we like to focus, like I'm not a filmmaker, but generally you want your movie to be interesting or dynamic. Well, they really need to set up the rules of the little boy runs forward 10 steps, stops, Mom runs Wait, after we're him. not there yet. We'll get we, there. They need to set up the rules of that game because I want to know who's winning. Uh-huh. 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 All right. So we cut to Albert, who's driving through the rain. Uh, he's Great on the scene. phone with, uh, with... with Cole. Cole. Thank you, Gordon Cole. Um, he's going to Max Vaughn's bar. Which um, the neon for looks an awful lot like the Bang Bang bar. Yeah. that's I, like, At first, I, I did a double take because I was like, wait. Yeah. She's been there the whole time. <laughs> the whole time? I know where she drinks. It's at this place where they all drink. It's in Twin Peaks. Yeah. That, yeah. Um, so he, uh, so Albert in a amazing performance gets out of the car into the rain and says, Michael. <laughs> I didn't even throw me on the spot, but he's just like, fuck you, Gene Kelly, you it's motherfucker. So- <laughs> fuck Gene Kelly, you motherfucker. <laughs> like it's so good. It's, it's like it's such a subtle. I mean, it's not incredibly subtle. Like, oh, deep mm-hmm. cut. You got to get that. But like, just, just to, have, 
just you have to know put that, two and two together and yeah. know that Gene Kelly famously was sang singing in the rain in the rain and uh-huh. danced around and had fun with it and mm-hmm. he's like no fuck you this is bullshit <laughs> like I think Gene Kelly had like a really gnarly flu when he yeah, was filming that that's, I've heard that same thing that, like he was and also when they're filming it I'm a huge Gene Kelly fan when they're filming it around like 5.30 or 6 o'clock when people like started getting home they lost all their water power or water pressure for the sprinklers because everybody oh, really? was like all of a sudden doing their dishes or whatever that's funny I didn't yeah. know that uh, anyway Listen, I always love a Gene Kelly anecdote. Worth it. That's that's a good one. That's a good piece. I mean, also the type of thing that could be very easily made up, oh, but but for it's worth sure. it. It's a, it's a great little anecdote. Like that'd be funny to find to like lose all your water and then find out like oh yeah it was for one of the most iconic scenes in the history right, of cinema. Right. <laughs> okay. Um. Anyway, uh, so we see Albert kind of weaves through this really crowded bar. And then we get to a woman's back mm-hmm. with the world's longest neck. <laughs> and she turns around. That, I know that neck. Yeah. That can be only one neck. <laughs> she does. Like, she does. Have she a- has such a long neck and always is wearing. We're talking about. Um, oh, fuck. What's her name? Laura Dern. Laura Dern. And I feel like later in her career, she often wears like really short bob wigs. Or, like, hair I'm think- up, or just hair up. Well, I'm thinking you know? like Star Wars, she has that purple bob. Yeah. And it just makes her, it just emphasizes how long her neck is. Well, and in Star Wars, too, she had like, yeah, a, yeah, it, a, like a turtleneck, yeah. like ribbed turtleneck. Mikey and I are two people with, we have like three quarters of a neck between the two of us. <laughs> I have an okay neck. I have no forehead. <laughs> I'm, I'm like James Hurley's opposite. <laughs> I just have like, my chin and my collarbone are just trying to get together really hard, and I'm trying to stop them. Um, anyway, <laughs> it's what I think a lot of people were predicting online before this was mm-hmm. out. But when people saw, okay, Laura Dern's going to be in this, is going to be part of Twin Peaks, because you almost forget, oh yeah, Laura Dern was never in Twin Peaks. Like, like she just seems I mean, if, so connected to David Lynch. Yeah, I was going like, to say, if you're a huge David Lynch her, fan. Yeah, like, you would have found a place for her somewhere. But then you just, yeah. For me, that didn't mean anything to me. Because yeah. I hadn't really seen any David Lynch movies when I saw this. Um, but, you know, we love Laura Dern. But just, I, I love... Stana Queen. What I like about this scene is the... Miguel Ferrer's performance is... Well, he So he gets out of that car... Uh, everything fuck fuck you Gene Kelly you motherfucker and he's drenched and he's angry and he's kind of like almost like mean mugging people while he's going <laughs> to the bar like turns around and then kind of comes around this little bit of like a banister or whatever and then he just goes hi Diane like like recenters himself yeah like sets mm-hmm. it up and it's like in a loud bar borderline whispers mm-hmm. hi Diane or hello Diane or whatever he says and then you just get it like giving people what they want, which is a very dramatic introduction shot of I mean her back, and then she turns almost directly to camera. Yeah, and I I feel like he gave we talked maybe two episodes about uh, when they introduced Bobby, and he got that really yeah. great mo- yeah, and they despite the fact that we've never met Diane she's such an integral character to right. Twin Peaks we, so she got the same treatment finally got a face yeah 
to this yeah idea of Diane that mm-hmm. we've heard about which it make okay it 100% makes sense why like if this if this was real life it completely makes sense that they would definitely want to like bring Diane in cuz she worked so closely with mm-hmm. Cooper but i kind of wish Diane remained a sort of ethereal yeah. like you know, like the I don't even. I, for some reason, I can think of the Peanuts teacher when they're just like, wah, 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 which is not what I'm thinking I of. But Diane just like we never see them on played screen. by a trombone, right? Well, <laughs> a muted trombone. Wah, Only wah, a trombone wah, wah, can wah. can do that neck justice. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just throw a I, wig on it. What I do like is because I'm sure that was brought up. Are we ever going to have Diane? You know, like Mark, right. like early conversations with Mark Frost and David Lynch. When they were talking about a potential season three, are we ever going to have Diane? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The only way I think you can do it, I think the only way that you can get away with putting Diane in mm-hmm. is to give it to Laura fucking Dern. Yeah. Like, you, like, you have, like, okay, we are, gonna, some- we're finally going to put a face to this. Some people don't want it. Some people like the, some people kind of, if we're going to do it, we're going to give it to the fucking master. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, it, something as revered as the idea of Diane mm-hmm. can only be effective in the hands of somebody as revered as Lord Dern. Sure. Sorry if uh, you hear barking in the background. We are in the middle of a snowstorm here in Chicago. And Dottie, Dottie, come here. And the plows are scaring the dog. The next scene is with Richard Horn, who we met last episode or the one prior when he assaulted a woman in a bar. But it's also a little, like, we've been already just referring to him as Richard Horn, and he's credited as Richard Horn, Mm -hmm. but I don't think we've ever gotten his name. Oh, okay. I don't think he's ever been identified within the Yeah, I feel like the only reason I know is you told me. Yeah, because he goes on to be a character for the remainder of the season, and... In the credits, he's... Richard Horn. There's a Richard Horn in the credits. Um, so he... So do we know where he... Do we know Red? That's the name of the character he's talking to? Is this our first introduction Red, we saw very briefly in that roadhouse scene mm-hmm. where James has always been cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Shelly looks over across the bar and Red is leaned up against the bar and gives like a finger gun like a little finger gun thing uh-huh. and she kind of blushes or whatever like okay. there's something going on between Shelly and him okay um but also we learn now that he's one of the drug runners or he's somehow helping bring drugs into Twin yeah, Peaks he's part from, of that from Canada that ring yeah um, so he, uh, so Richard Horn and Red uh, discuss trafficking a drug called Sparkle with, with a large bodyguard guy with a gun that, like a fucking. AK. Is it real? Like, I don't know. I've never seen a gun that looks like that. It's got like this it, giant. It looks like like a an uh, a munition thing that looks like an old Tommy gun, like mm, a big mm-hmm. circular disc thing, but like it's wide enough where it's holding like large military like yeah. like it's a like those guns that are on a tripod thing you know what i mean mm-hmm. I, you can tell i know a lot about guns oh my god but yeah. uh, but then it's got like this big handle that like has a thing that connects the handle to the top 
where it looks like a weird like gun from like aliens, like a laser gun of some kind. And then this like tiny little silver like barrel that sticks out the end of it. It's the most bizarre looking gun. I have no idea if it's real. I didn't clock it very much. I it's just, just I just find it rifle. so odd looking. And then this big guy holding it. Yeah. Who's smiling. Oh my God. Tired so time, amused which by I think Richard Horn. So bizarre. Such a weird that, choice. Like, this big intimidating guy with this giant gun is just like <laughs> Um, and he's so kind weird. of laughing at Richard Horn, Everything, who like yeah. s- who snorts a drug and then like just <laughs> just does this like oh that's strong whoo yeah ah! <laughs> like he keeps like feeling it over and over again. Yeah. Um, uh, Red makes a threat to make sure that Richard Horn doesn't double cross him, um, and, and then he keeps he- doing these like cool like like Flip. Elvisy like yeah. moves like it, it's very. Nick Cage and Wild at Heart, mm. but like he's, but he's got like this. Is del- that what he won an Oscar for? Nick Cage, yeah. No, Leaving Las Vegas. Oh, never seen that either. Um, he has these moves that are very much like that. They're very Elvis, which Elvis directly inspired Nick Cage. Nick Cage's character that's talked about in the movie. We'll mm-hmm. figure that out when you watch it. Um, but then he's got this delivery that like constantly reminds me of. Michael Madsen is Mr. Blonde in Reservoir Dogs. Uh, like this this time. crazy who, who, delivery. What's his name? Michael Madsen. Okay. Mr. Blonde, the guy who cuts off the oh. cop's ear and does the whole stuck in the middle with you. Oh, I didn't scene. know his name was Michael Madsen. That that he that delivery just he rem- there's something about these two deliveries that like they're very much in the same vein. Like mm-hmm. this this dry intimidation okay. without being like over the top intimidating but it's terrifying because you're so just normal about all of it mm-hmm. I don't know it's really interesting but I I love Balthazar Getty's performance in this yeah Balthazar Getty what a name huh mm-hmm. who's also another Lynch callback he's from Lost Highway uh, and then Red is playing with a dime and he kind of is like, see this? This is you. And then he flips it in the air and Richard Horn is staring at it as, as it keeps just rotating and mm-hmm. freezing. It, it it makes me think of, um, we watched recently, I'm thinking of ending things. Mm-hmm. And there's, which I love so much. And if you're like a Lynch fan, I feel like you'd like that. But there's a scene and it's in the preview. And that was like what drew me into the movie immediately is they show a dog shaking and it goes on just like a little bit too long. Oh. And it's just long enough that you're like, Wait, what? Like yeah. it's it's eerie in a way that isn't threatening, but just is something yeah. is not right here. Some laws are not being obeyed. And then it just appears in his mouth. I assume none of that actually happened. I assume he just flipped the diamond. My my thought is this this is the drugs kicking in. Right. Yes. Yeah. Like this and he thinks he's magic, but mm-hmm. I, th- I think all of this is is sometimes like we don't know what quote unquote sparkle is. It's how hard it, is it to make a cool name for a drug? <laughs> Giggle pig. And, <laughs> um, and like, <clears throat> so he is on whatever this is. We know that. My assumption is that it's some type of 
cocaine based drug that is yeah kicked up somehow right. or laced with some type of hallucinogen or some like whatever it is but it's some type of cocktail drug right and that's so a lot i i'm curious about how much of this scene happens Mm -hmm. at all or is red straight up a lodge entity oh interesting is a magician of sorts and can do things and he's just fucking with him yeah we go to the double r diner where Heidi and Shelly are talking to Miriam Sullivan. Um, I don't know how I feel about this scene. Like, it, I don't get it. I think this is a scene I just don't get. Like, what are, what are we trying to demonstrate with this woman who, like, is apparently just going from place to place and eating desserts? Like, is it just, like, a low-key fat joke, or... It's... This is part of the pendulum swing that is this episode long scene short scenes Mm -hmm. tragic and horrible scenes Mm -hmm. mixed with like light whatever Mm -hmm. fun scenes this is the double r being light and being happy right after this scene like frivolous and right before what's about to happen Mm -hmm. so it's a little bit frivolous but it also establishes it's it it gives you some interaction with miriam Mm -hmm. so that you recognize who she is yeah we're gonna meet her again later and you know her face enough because she's the one who sees Richard hit the kid. Right. She's standing there. She's got her to go. Yeah. You needed to introduce her. Otherwise, she just looks like any, any one of those other extras who uh-huh. all, someone else who also saw. And then, uh, who is she? What is, why is right. she here? Like, so you needed to introduce her to have some, you know, staying power to her character. Mm-hmm. And then, she's the one who's about to witness what Richard Horn does with his car. Okay. Um, she leaves a tip that Heidi and Shelly feel that she can't afford, so they plan on treating her to pie next time around, which was cute and nice, I guess. Um, so Horn is back in his... We're back with Horn, who's in his car, yelling to himself. Did we... We jumped over... Oh. A scene. Yes. Yep. Upset, Horn drives as Carl Rod heads into Twin Peaks from the Fat Trout trailer park yes, okay. with Mickey and Bill. Sorry, I missed that okay. sentence. So that's that's all they say about that scene? Mm-hmm. Wow. That's Harry Dean Stanton. This is, a, this is another little meta scene where there's bits that are like borderline David Lynch talking right to camera mm-hmm. of like lines like, I've been smoking every fucking day for 75 years. Yeah, yeah. And has this just big grin on his face about it. That's absolutely David Lynch. Mm -hmm. The man has smoked every day his entire life and is not even considering smoking. Right. Considering quitting. Right. Or, right. Sorry. (laughs) Um, The other thing I find a little bit interesting about this scene is we know from the beginning of the series, this season, one of the clues, giant, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. Mm Mm-hmm gives us is remember 430 Richard and Linda sandwiched in these Richard scenes mm-hmm. which we are learning is there's a Richard mm-hmm. ding 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 I remember that name mm-hmm. giant told me to I don't remember that name but I'm glad you do um, th- we also get this guy that he's riding in this van with this uh, with um, Carl Rod 
and he mentions like, oh yeah, I gotta go get my, I gotta go into the uh, town for my wife Linda's PO box. Mm-hmm. And so, boom! Now we have a, a Linda reference. This is our first reference to the name Linda. Oh, which and we also know Linda. Linda is his wife, who's in a wheelchair. Who's wheelchair yes. bound? Okay. Yeah. So we now have some reference to Linda. So in between these two Richard scenes is a reference to Linda. That's interesting. Um. Okay. So so I got everything out of order. So we do. We have the Richard Horn and Red scene, and then this one. Um, with Carl Rudd and then Double R Diner. Also, anytime we get to see Harry Dean Stanton is mm-hmm. delightful. He unfortunately died shortly after making this also. Yeah. Um, all right, so we're back with Horn, who's still kind of like, like clearly strung out, panicking yeah. about... His, Magic motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> like, like not not firing all cylinders, forgive the pun. So he's speeding, he's illegally passing traffic. Um, and then this just says that he runs over and kills a child. The scene of I <laughs> So yeah, there's this is Lisa Coronado. She was at Twin Peaks Fest when we were there. Mm-hmm. Is playing a game with her child mm-hmm. while Carl Rod sits on a bench nearby and watches them. Uh-huh. Um, and it almost like it's again we like we've we've learned that Carl Rod has some connection to this otherworldly stuff that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, they talk about in the secret history that he was also abducted. Daddy, come here. When Log Lady was stuff like that. He was evicted. Is that abducted. what you said? Oh, abducted. Um. So he's somehow tethered or has insight or whatever into this, um, I don't know, Black Lodge, White Lodge, other world. Um, but he seems at peace or or he knows something is going to happen. Because the way he's just sitting there and like looking up, like, I don't know, it's... I could watch that for like a really long time and I yeah. don't know why. And it's just, maybe it's just a testament to Harry Dean Stanton doing, you know, putting stuff on his face, like putting looks on his face that mean something that don't, yeah. you know, but there's something amazing about it. I heard a story and I don't know if it's true about, um, what was his name in uh, Casablanca? The male lead Bogart Bogart Humphrey Bogart there's a scene toward the end where he's standing on a balcony and looking down at what's her face it's something to do with the bird or something Ingrid Bergman I mean I told you it's something to do with the bird not bird Bergman Uh, so there's a scene in Casablanca uh, and I'm not this might be apocryphal but um, uh, Humphrey Bogart is staring down Ingrid Bergman from like a balcony or something like that and the director, whose name is... Who directed Casablanca? I don't remember. That's not... Michael Curtis? Yeah. Um, anyway, apparently, as the story goes, he told Humphrey Gobart... Gobart <laughs> <laughs> We're not even drinking. I think yeah, I'm just this is broken. The Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> Off my grind. Um, so he told Gogurt what? <laughs> He told Humphrey Bogart to make his face as neutral and look as bored as possible 
because his thought was if you make your face completely blank people will project oh yeah 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 what they think you're feeling yeah as opposed to you're telling them yeah which is kind of makes sense yeah like and, oh he looks and, forlorn oh he and, looks in love and Casablanca's ending they had multiple endings oh so you didn't know they how don't, it was yeah I think they needed that shot but didn't know which ending that they were going to be using and I and, and so that makes sense that it was like once we get context you'll look like whatever right we need it to look like right right yeah. anyway um so that was a tangent. So this game that this woman's playing with her kid is sh- they stand in a spot together yep. and then he runs forward like 10 feet and then stops. And then she runs up and hugs him. Yeah, that's the game. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Which I remember so, yeah, so being this... so deeply befuddled by what the fuck was going on in this scene the first but time I saw it. Do you remember? So this was Lisa Coronado. Like, it's funny because a lot of you know, Twin Peaks fans were all excited that, oh, and Lisa Coronado is going to be at Twin Peaks Fest. She's a celebrity guest. She's literally has no lines. No. And is credited as hit and run mom. Yeah. Very small part. This is the only episode she's in. But Correct. we were just like, oh, she's going to be. I know yeah. who she is. It's it's so wild how, like, if you have anything to do with Twin Peaks, uh, love you. Yep. You're in. You're in. Come on. Best friend. So uh, she was there. So you yeah. specifically, like, during the picnic at one point were like, I gotta know uh-huh. <laughs> who invented this game and what kind of direction were you given That's what in, I asked. Playing, I in s- playing this game with this little boy? I asked her, like, how... David Lynch, like I know what I asked her is, did not how did David Lynch explain to you what this game was? And she said, no, it, <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. Like there was no like this is the thing you do with your son and it's safe and whatever. It is literally just a device that got the kid to run out in the street and stop and stop. Yeah, for no specific reason. Um, and she was like, she was obviously very amused by my question because like, yeah, I don't know, man, like. When David Lynch tells you to play a weird, dumb game with a kid... Do it. Yep. <laughs> and then you'll get invited to a picnic in Snoqualmie Falls. <laughs> um, anyway, so so in the midst of this game, this kid gets fucking leveled by this truck. It's rough It's shit. a graphic shot. It like, really is. Yeah, you expect that you're going to like cut, cut away. away and see her reaction yeah. from the side. Like, you see this... Boom, just get leveled. And it... Brutal. And then she immediately runs out in the street and is, like, clutching her bleeding kid and, like, yeah, howling. She, like, for having just this short, short, short scene, she's incredible in it. She, oh, no, my God. So good. Yeah. And that, it's... I, I I need to stop saying, like, something was weird because it's just how David Lynch does, does shit. But it's so strange that she's in the middle of the street clutching this bleeding child and everybody is standing, like, 20 feet away from her mm-hmm. in, like, a circle and there's no... Except Carl Rod, who then comes over... Who Carl yeah. Rod sees... The kid's spirit, probably. Something, yeah. yeah, float up and out. And I you almost wonder if... So when he's sitting on that bench looking pensive or looking uh-huh. blank and we're projecting whatever we want onto it. Right. He is looking up and then kind of looks down and sees the boy, which is the opposite of him seeing the boy on the ground and sure. watching the solo uh-huh. or whatever go up. Does he know something like this is about to happen? Does he know something like like this is a thing the way the log talks to Margaret? Like 
is this something that he knows something's going to happen to this boy and he can't really do anything about it? Or it's not my place to do anything about it. I can't stop that. Like, like the, the Arthurian mm-hmm. legend stuff we were talking about. Cassandra, yeah. It's, I know this is going to happen. I can't do anything about it. I can wait for it to happen and I can try and comfort the mother. Mm-hmm. Like you almost get this sense that Carl knows what's up. And then it's bookended with these shots of almost like bad TV extras. Mm-hmm. Like it it makes the whole scene feel surreal. Yeah. And joined with the fact that nobody, because nobody's gathering around her. They're yeah, nobody's their on their phones. Nobody's so, calling police. So it's just this weird, th- it's like people almost watching a house fire. More than like mm-hmm. a medical emergency of like this is in motion and there's yep. nothing we can do but stand back and watch. I mean, I think that that's a good observation about like is Harry Dean Stanton another entity that he's not an entity or not an entity, he, but is he, he connected? He was. He's in the vein of Major Briggs and Margaret Landerman. Okay. He. They talk about he was uh, abducted. In the secret history of Twin Peaks, and I, so I kind of take that as uh-huh. some level of truth. Um, and then he has the line in Firewalk with Murray says, "I I don't want to go anywhere. I've already seen some shit. Like mm-hmm. I don't like. I think he's been dealing with, and that's when he kind of shuts himself off into this trailer park. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to fucking yeah. I I want to be on, sit and smoke and yeah. I want to smoke live out wanna, his days. Yeah." All right, so we find Duncan Todd, um, who is in his office. A red box appears on his computer screen. He closes it out, goes to the desk behind him, where he opens a safe and removes an envelope with a black circle on the front. Right. Any thoughts Which there? is all just super weird and coded. And uh-huh. again, it's technology doing weird things in weird ways that get to the point that we need made. Mm-hmm. Um, we go back to the first house in Vegas where Dougie was. Um, we see his his destroyed cars, his exploded car, is towed. Um, as authorities investigate, they find the back bumper on the roof of the house where the drug addicted mother is. Um, we so we cut back to her. Mm-hmm. We hear one one nine a few more times. Um, and that's the end of that. We go to a motel where we meet Ike the Spike Statler, um, played by Christoph. What's Christoph's last name? Zajac Denick. Uh, who we also met, who was a joy. So Ike the Spike, he's like a bald white guy. We've never. We, this is our first time seeing him, right? I'm not missing an intro that we had. Uh, no, that's this is the first. Um, he receives an envelope that also has a black circle. What do the black circles mean? Nobody knows for sure. Death probably. Maybe it's like the black spot. I, I, I think that it is just acknowledge, like tethering these two plot points together, so that Duncan Todd has to do with this hit that is being called, that like the spike is being called for. You it, know what I mean? I bet then because the black spot is from uh, Treasure Island. It was. I just looked it up because I wasn't sure if it was like a quote unquote real pirate thing or just. Um, made up so Robert Louis Stevenson who wrote Treasure Island is um, there's a thing called the Black Spot 
and they um, essentially if they hand somebody a piece of paper with a black spot. It means they're guilty of whatever. Mm. Um, and generally, hmm. it means the person is going to be killed. I don't remember if I've read Treasure Island, but I have seen Muppet Treasure Island. <laughs> um, I was really trying to keep that very under Very faithful adaptation. I was trying to keep that under my hat because I was very embarrassed about that. But all I know is that it means Interesting. whatever. Um, sorry, I just want to keep skimming through because I'm assuming that's what that's a reference that to, makes sense right? but it, yeah but also it the fact that he pulled out an envelope with a black spot on it then a black spot envelope ends up under the door of, of like the spike mm-hmm. these two things are connected okay. you know what I mean I think that it isn't just like oh he got this weird box on his screen and then he had an envelope and then mm-hmm. in another scene another guy <laughs> gets requested to kill somebody and we're not connecting those things right um yeah, so generally it's a, a death sentence, but not always. Um, oh, actually, Michael, I'm skimming through this Wikipedia entry about Treasure Island. I will say, the Muppets do a pretty good adaptation I mean, because they he usually do. Um, because he realized Long John Silver realizes that the spot has is on a page torn out from the Bible, and so he's like. Oh, you done fucked up now. You used a page of the like you tore out a page of the Bible and drew on it. That's bad. God hates that. He told oh. me. Uh, and that happens in Muppet Treasure Island and there's a very funny scene about it. Good. You really pretend to be interested in me when I talk. <laughs> you can cut this out, right? You're such a dick. Can you add interest? <laughs> <laughs> can you do that later? No. Uh, Sorry, it's not interesting watching you read. <laughs> While initially confused... <laughs> Wait, I went to the wrong paragraph. So we have the envelope. It has a black circle. Inside are photos of Lorraine, who I didn't recognize her. Was she the one who That's called the, somebody? She's Yeah, she sent that ar- urgent oh, uh-huh. text, and she was like all freaked out. About something. She was on the phone and was like very, very worried about something. Right. And seemingly it was this. She's worried because something got fucked up and mm-hmm. now someone's going to try to kill her. Cool. Uh, but this is, yeah, the Tammy Baird stunt woman lady. And the other one is a picture of original Dougie. OG Dougie. Um, and then he pulls out his spike. Is yep. it an ice pick? I think so. I think it's like a heavy or like a, um, yeah, some type of like a wood pick or something maybe. Mm -hmm. I don't know if, like a wood carving tool or something. So he uh, stabs the photo with his ice pick, his spike, his Ike spike. Do you think he started using a spike because his name was Ike and he was like, gotta get a gimmick? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, So... Dougie is back at work. He's called into Bushnell Mullen's office, um, who's his, like, boss. He's, like, yelled at into Jones. Yeah. And then, like, Phil Bisbee's, like, pulling... Because he goes into work super happy. Mm-hmm. Like, he's got a big old grin on his face. He's standing in the elevator. Phil's like, come on, buddy. Come oh, on, my... buddy. Oh, God. He's the drinking his coffee, like so coffee. he's just happy. Yeah. And he just, it's, it's very charming the way he's, like, holding everything in his coffee. Yeah. He's on the outside with the name Dougie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's again this shot is very uh, reminiscent of a very a, a shot in Eraserhead of 
Jack Nance's character mm-hmm. standing there with his stuff in an elevator and it's like he just keeps going back to his old mm-hmm. body of work. Uh, he is initially confused by Cooper's childlike, childish scribblings um, and then over the course of um, 14 or 15 minutes <laughs> he continues to stare at pieces of paper and then he keeps looking at them. And well, he's still looking, Michael. Do not interrupt the looking. Mean, but meanwhile, Dougie is is fascinated by connecting this picture of Bud, Battle and Bud, mm-hmm. and Bushnell. Like he seems to be connecting that, like this is a younger you. Mm-hmm. And you you wonder what's going on in there. Sure. Like, is he connecting? There was a younger agent. When I went in, I was young, and now I'm oh. old. Wait, what happened? There's this oh, old me and this new. Like, I feel like there's a connection there. I like that. Of the same way that what we have now is old Bushnell. There was a young Bushnell. Mm-hmm. We don't know what happened in the interim, mm-hmm. and that's where. Dougie yeah. Cooper's living. That's, I think that's very astute. Um, so eventually he understands the meaning behind them, and you also, kind of talked about that. Yeah. Before. Also, we get a shot of Anthony Sinclair in his office starting to look worried. Mm-hmm. Like he, it, it, uh, you, you would assume that Dougie has figured something out and Sinclair could be in trouble. Right. Um, all right, so now we're at the park uh, where Janie E. meets up with um, Tommy and Jimmy. Um, and a real outstanding monologue here. It, <laughs> Nevertheless, lady. Well, yeah, I would argue that's not part of her monologue. but <laughs> I know, but it's just a... I, Jeremy Davies in this is ridiculous, yeah, and I love it. It's very funny. I want to drop in part of her speech here. So let me get this straight. People were playing games. He made a bet where he lost $20,000, but you want him to pay you back $52,000. Very good. That's correct. Okay, so you get this straight. My husband has a job. He has a wife. He has a child. He does not make enough money to pay back $52,000 for anything. We are not wealthy people. We drive cheap, terrible cars. We are the 99 percenters, and we are shit on enough, and we are certainly not going to be shit on by the likes of you. Nevertheless, lady. So here's what we're going to do. Without my knowledge, my husband came to you for a loan of $20,000. You were nice enough to give it to him, but he should never have been gambling like that. I'm going to pay you back. Now, at my bank, where we make less than 1% interest on what little money we have, people will be turning cartwheels just to get 25% interest on any loan. And that is what I'm generously going to give to you right now. $25,000. That is my first, last, and only offered because I just really like the line we drive shitty cars we are the 99 per- this this monologue was 100% written by Mark Frost mm-hmm. I can guarantee it like and it's fun like I get that even if you were like relatively well off just pulling $50,000 out of thin air right. is impossible but it's also like I don't know you live in a really beautiful house in a nice neighborhood in like the suburbs of Las Vegas you seem Okay. Uh-huh. Um, so she so she says that she will pay him twenty five. Well, she explains this all to him like they're fucking children. Oh, it's okay. Great. So you're telling me he borrowed twenty thousand. Yeah. 
and now you want him to pay back fifty two thousand, and they're like, yeah, she gets it. <laughs> like, like it's so like yeah. you figured out how loan sharks work. Yeah, exactly. And oh. then, and then, but this is my last and only. And, oh God, my, this is my last and final and only offer. It's giving you twenty five thousand. First, last, leave. only offer. Yeah. yeah. And they're just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. Um, and she just talks circles around them in a way that's delightful. Mm-hmm. And Mikey's favorite line happens. Nevertheless, lady. <laughs> like, like this, it's just funny because the delivery of that line, like in so many other movies or TV shows or whatever from years ago, it seems like that would be like a, a big tough guy intimidating this woman because mm-hmm. she's just a weak little woman. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And being like, nevertheless, lady, we're going to... Th- yeah. th- 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 th. And she's just are, like, no, 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 fuck you. These guys are literal goons. Not having it. And she's just so much stronger than both of them. And, and I, it's delightful to watch. I love the way she talks around the problem in a way that's very skilled and very like political-esque. Mm-hmm. Because she says... She, she doesn't say like, what, he never took money from you, whatever. She says... He should not have borrowed this much money from you, and we can't pay you back. So this is what you're getting instead. And never at any point does she do, does anybody bring up the fact that like he took out a loan from a loan shark. Like you know that shit is fucked up yeah. and like it's dangerous. But she just treats it like he borrowed this money from you. Here is it back with a twenty percent interest rate, which is great For by the anybody. way. Yeah. Um. And and at no point does anybody say like you're not at a loss. Yeah. We can end this right now. Right, exactly. I just, Call it what it is. I just really love that at no point does she, does in her mind or how she portrays their situation to these men, is it Dougie's fault for, she just says he shouldn't have done that. The yeah. way like, oh, we didn't need to buy a nice bottle of wine. I'll, like, well, I'll take that up with him later. Yeah. But that's we're an not us dealing- problem, yeah. not a you and me problem. Yeah, it's great. Um. So so yeah, that's great. So that ends, and she like it's just such a good monologue. The way she like is handing them the money and making and them feel like, giant roll, and yeah. just dressing them down like you're the problem with people in the world. Yep. Like, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. So we're back with the spike. Um, and he shows up at Lorraine's office. He stabs her to death. Um, along with two two coworkers. I don't remember one. Well, you hear. Somebody, you open the opening shot is that hallway where you can kind of see into her office, uh-huh. and you hear someone screaming off camera. Oh, and that's how she's like alerted to the fact that he's there. Okay, so then he comes running in, gruesomely, brutally attacks her, Fucking rough which is shit. likely why they cast a stunt woman because she goes flying yeah. back against that wall and mm-hmm. everything, and he's just like. Oh, rotating it's the spike so and like upsetting. it's yeah it's, it's not like he's stirring a fucking large yeah, pot of spaghetti or something it's not like generally when hitmen are portrayed it is like it's their duty they have no joy in it this yeah, is their yeah, job yeah. but he he's like the he's relishing do you know who this. the Iceman is he was a hit x-men uh-huh uh, yeah i'm bringing up Iceman from uh, the x-men uh-huh, okay yeah, played by one of those brothers yeah um, no, uh, the Iceman, I can't think of his actual name, but he was a hitman for the mob, like, kind of throughout the 20th century. And it's this very, it's a very similar character that he, like, 
in true crime circles, like, is he a serial killer or is he not? Because he almost only did contract killing. Mm -hmm. But. He enjoyed it. He, like, he did this kind of shit, like, made a meal out of it. Do what you love. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You never work a day in your life. Yeah. And so I feel like it's the same thing, that this isn't just, like, a guy who, this isn't, like, from fucking Barry or whatever, that he has to, like, do what he has Uh to do to survive. This guy's like, hell yeah. And then he breaks his little ice pick (laughs) and is so sad about it. Well, he comes out, like, he's got these gross teeth. Oh, And he comes out with this look, like, because he murdered some... Because he saw a witness. Yeah. Then ran after her, killed her. Yeah. <laughs> comes back. You don't see that. No. You just see him come That's back. That's And is is it like a full on hook. Uh-huh. And he just, oh man. Like, like genuinely the, so sad. So like his performance. And, and like the switch sad, he makes. Sad like a, like, like a, like kid. a fucking 12 year old. Yeah. Like, I wanted, I wanted to. Go to the park. Yeah. It's raining. Just that kind of like inconsolable. <laughs> like, yeah. How could this happen to it's me? It's so good. It's, it's genuine. I, like, I don't think I've seen Kristoff in anything besides this, but like just that moment makes me think yeah. like this guy. He's, yeah, he's very He's good. very good. Okay. So uh, back with Richard, who's still driving the car with which he murdered a child. Um, he pulls into sort of a. This has a feel, but I thought it was more of like a lot, like a gravel lot. But I could be wrong. It was it was a field, but there was another car. Two there, other right? cars okay. there. Um, he drives to a field and he wipes the boy's blood off his truck's grill. Which, not <laughs> like it's one thing to that to take off the blood. Yeah, that's great and that's a good idea, and you should have done that or whatever. But all of the work they did to make that truck look old and beat up kind of uh-huh. came off to like it, by splashing it and wiping it with like a handkerchief yeah. it gets incredibly clean mm-hmm. yeah I've, which is a little weird but in the cares? last 24 hours i have spent a total of three and a half hours cleaning our oven yeah so like if that was how easy it was of just like splash some bottled water on it and wipe it down yeah our oven's so fucking clean though not our oven even. I didn't even clean the inside of the oven. I spent three and a half hours cleaning just the top so and tough. front. God, My we're gross really good, people, right? I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah. Um, Mikey and I have done nothing but clean for the last two days. It's been a lot. Looks good, though. Yeah, looks very good. If we can't go anywhere, I might as well. Well, this was we're we're kind of wandering back into the ending I had the beginning I had to scrap because we just talked about how clean our house was for like three minutes and I realized that's not very interesting. Moving on. <laughs> okay, keep going. Um, inside a ref a restroom, Hawk drops a coin. Another time a coin mm-hmm. comes up. So, what do you think the theme in this one is? Money, greed. I I don't know if it's a theme, but I feel like it's somehow opposites. And you know, every every scene is either really long or like is, you know, everything is super tragic or really light and positive and warm and comforting. Mm-hmm. You know, like and then it meets in the hit and run scene, which is ultimate tragedy, but like Carl Rod is very, very comforting. I think somewhere in there so think but, like a binary? Maybe. I feel like it has to do it has to have to do with with money because we see that's coins in a couple places. Yeah. Plus the thing with Genie E mo- is yeah. literal just cash money. He's like the spike is a paid, paid hitman. Paid, yeah. 
like yeah that's yeah that'd be my guess that's fair too i mean i and that's assuming when you said that each episode has like a theme or that's an just my take I yeah mean, yeah I, that's not like a thing that i heard yeah. somewhere so I we just, might be applying i get that. the vibe that a lot of these things seem like i this this episode feels different than the last episode which uh-huh. feels different than the next episode just for whatever reason mm-hmm. um but yeah i think all those things yeah money i think greed yeah i think all of those things take place mm-hmm. and uh so anyway hawk uh drops a coin in the bathroom he picks it up and he notices that a screw is missing from the door and he also this isn't in here but he also notices the branding of the stall door is well, yeah Nez so the Pierce. coin he drops is some type of old native american coin. oh is it i thought it was a dime again. it's an old native american coin and I, it has a nez purse pierce are you sure oh. in the audiobook for the secret history of twin peaks i always say nez purse it's p-e-r-c-e is how it's spelled oh i've always said it, nez pierce and pretty i think it's nez purse at least that's how it's spelled too unless it's pronounced differently than i understand but either way it has a the same image that the head that's on there is the same image on nez Perce manufacturing uh-huh. made the bathroom stalls um and that image is the same and that's why he looks at the bathroom door and then notices the the top is coming off a little bit so that the front panel and the back panel of the door uh-huh. has a gap in there right. that something could be stuffed in there so he gets a step stool out gets a crowbar out and starts you know mm-hmm. prying that open to get whatever's in there out and then chad walks in find another bathroom chad mm-hmm. mikey and i just went in depth apparently it is nez purse so he notices the little manufacturing label mm-hmm. nez purse like he said pulls it open and then chad comes in does he even say anything the hell He's the ladies' room, Chad. What the hell are you doing? Please, Chad, use another restroom. Clear this with the sheriff. Tell him if you don't. Yeah, you do that, Chad. He, what are you doing? Yeah, he's just such well, a Well, he goon. he comes in and goes, what's going on? Or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then Hawk immediately goes into... Use the ladies' room. Go use the ladies' room, Chad. Yeah. Because he recognizes the voice. He doesn't even turn around and look at him. He's like, well, what are you doing? What's going on? I'm, uh, I'm going to tell the sheriff. If you're not going to tell the sheriff, then I'm going to tell the sheriff. Like, whatever. And he's just like, that's fine. That's fine, Chad. Just shut the fuck up and leave. Like, basically, he's trying to like oh i'm gonna rat you out kind of oh my god he and he's like i don't care whatever i'm onto something here he straight up threatens to snitch like he's a (laughs) schoolboy. yeah i'm gonna tell teacher and also who's he gonna tell he said the sheriff he's gonna tell sheriff he's gonna tell truman because that's gonna end well yeah Um, because because truman's on your fucking side right right yeah um so you went through all of the door stuff right yep okay so uh, we're back at the sheriff's station. Oh, but he what he pulls out, I don't think I mentioned that. What he pulls out look like handwritten notes of some kind. We'll find out what that is mm-hmm. later. But it's like three or four pages uh, with handwritten 
handwriting on it. Right. Like torn out of a notebook or right. whatever. Um, so we're back at the sheriff's station. Uh, Doris, who's Frank's wife, comes back in, is still upset. Apparently the car, the car that she has to be repaired didn't start, and she's furious about it. Um, and... Deputy Chad just shows his whole ass of like, well, I would never put up with that shit. And he says this to a one, like, this is, like, I'm really impressed that Mark Frost, like, captured the experience of being a woman so cleanly because he just turns to the person sitting next to him. He doesn't care. He just, he doesn't care who he's talking to. He just yeah. wants to talk at someone. Yeah. And it's a woman. And he's like, well, I would never let, you know, I'd never let a woman talk to me like that. And she just, I don't think she even, she just. And she's, it's, her name's Maggie. She's the only one in the scene doing something. Like, she has a job. She's. Working the dispatch thing. She's the only one working and has to like yeah. pull herself away from it to be like, can you shut the fuck up? What are you talking about? You don't know what you're saying. Yeah. Deputy just Chad, Deputy Jesse are both just like fucking around at their desk. Yeah. Just sitting there. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, I didn't even realize that neither of them were working. Um, And then she, uh, Deputy Chad makes cruel statements about Dora and hers and Frank's son. Um, also, She's busy too because she's getting calls about that kid. About the kid I just realized yeah. that. Um, and so Deputy Chad is, is is running his mouth Which, and saying, "I don't know if that, we mentioned that intersection where the kid gets hit is the same intersection with the number six electrical pole. Oh, which is where Mike in Firewalk with me is like, and the engines are going. Uh-huh. That's the same intersection. Oh, okay, that's good to know. Um." So you said Maggie is the the mm-hmm. woman's name? Okay, she's not listed here. So she says something about like they're dealing you, with. She yeah, didn't used to be like this. Yeah, you don't know what she's going through. Just leave and gives him an opportunity to just like just leave it at that. Yeah, just shut your mouth, forget about it. And he's whoa. I, uh. Yeah, that's the thing about about people like this and characters like this is they can't take the L and just step back and like not make it a thing they have to like keep digging in mm-hmm. you know what i mean like he could he, like when she said don't you know her son committed their son committed suicide he could have been like he could have said he could have said yeah. you're right i'm sorry or nothing he could have said he, absolutely nothing and let the conversation just like die. whatever yeah and leave and he, instead he full-on like oh he couldn't, couldn't take being a soldier oh my like, god fuck you yeah. but it also like really 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 illustrates because before this, Chad was shitty, but just kind of oh, we knew he was on the, the tape, shitty dude, bro, and stuff like oh, that. Yeah, like, yeah. but now, like shit like that. Oh, this guy's fucking awful. Yeah, he's a villain. Yeah, um, and plays then, it delightfully. Oh my god, he's, he's very like especially because right after this, Barry came out and he's in Barry, mm, the, uh, so John Pierichello. Yeah. Also, he does writing occasionally for Blue Rose Mag. Oh, uh-huh. And he's fucking hilarious. Is he? He's oh, good. very funny. Did you... You talked to him at the... A little bit. At mm-hmm. the fest. I don't think I talked to him because I, I had seen Barry, but I didn't have a particular... Well, I also mentioned because I noticed there's a movie I hadn't seen yet. I don't know if it had come out yet or not, but my... Uh, an old friend of mine from high school, he and uh, Parvesh, he mm. and John Pierchello were both credited in this movie. And I was like, oh, they both worked on this together. And I was like, do you know? And he's like, I, I don't know. I, we, we either didn't work together or whatever. I remember and you it was being like, like, here's my in. Well, I was curious <laughs> about it. But yeah. But he was one of the few who was like very much, I don't know that he got it. 
Like he gets it, but like at the time he was like he's fallen into Twin Peaks fandom a little bit and he's uh-huh. got at the time I think he felt like he was still a little bit standoffish compared to a lot of the other people. Sure. Like he was an actor who's I'm doing this to get money and get whatever, but yeah. But then he's gone on and now he's like I'm hearing him on podcasts and I'm he was he's in like a lot of these like you know tag up things I've seen online of like video conference. Oh, and John Paracello is like going to remote in and, you know, whatever. Um, And then we are back at uh, the Roadhouse. We have Sharon Van Eaton playing Mm -hmm. Tarifa. Tarifa? Tarifa. Tarifa. Any contributions there? Tarifa. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah, I've only ever seen that written. Um, And yeah, that's it. That's the end of the episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, not my... It's an interesting one. It's it's a little all over the place, mm-hmm. but I think it's supposed to be. But it's also a, a weird bridge between the last episode, which was... The first four episodes are like an introduction. Mm-hmm. The next episode is like, oh, here's where all the stories are going to go. Mm-hmm. This episode is a weird bridge to the next episode where I feel like we get, if I'm remembering correctly, if it's the right episode, there's a lot of stuff in there that's like, oh. Sure. Like, there's a lot of stuff that happens there. Oh, no, wait. The next episode, I don't know, I'm not going to play it, but this episode is is strange, but I don't, yeah, I don't know. I like it. I think it's unsettling in a intentional way yeah well cool um that does it for us um do you want to plug anything we never plug anything at the end because i have the end credits you don't do anything oh yeah i forgot (laughs) the hell would i plug all right that's gonna do it thank you we'll talk to you next week Thank you for listening to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people, hosted by Michael Greif and me, Jessica Bloomke Greif. Our podcast logo is by Foraker Creative. You can follow them at Foraker Creative. Our theme music is by Brad Chactus. You can always email us at cooperduperpod at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes and leave us a positive review and tell a friend. We'll see you next week.